Welcome to the weekly Mission Red Bank podcast, helping the body of Christ build itself up together in love. The words that Christ gave when he blessed his disciples and commissioned them and us to go and be about his work in the world. One of the places in the world that we know from Scripture where that happened pretty quickly was Ephesus. It was an ancient port city whose well-preserved ruins can still be visited in modern-day Turkey. Millennia ago, it was a center of learning, considered one of the wealthiest cities in the ancient Mediterranean world. The Lydian king Croesus built the temple of Artemis there in the 6th century BC, one of the most revered Greek deities of the day, Artemis. She was worshipped for many things, but in Ephesus, she was worshipped primarily for fertility. Eventually, that temple that he built was burned after which the Ephesians rebuilt an even bigger temple to Artemis, estimated to be some four times larger than the Parthenon. Some of you have been to Nashville and seen the replica of the Parthenon. So in the ancient world, B.C., they rebuilt the temple of Artemis about four times larger than that. It was quite a feat. And this temple became known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The ancient Greek poet Antipater of Sidon described it this way, I have set eyes on the wall of lofty Babylon on which is a road for chariots and the statue of Zeus by the Alphys and the hanging gardens and the colossus of the sun and the huge labor of the high pyramids. In the vast tomb of Masolus. But when I saw the house of Artemis that mounted to the clouds, those other marvels lost their brilliancy. And I said, Lo, apart from Olympus, the sun never looked on aught so grand. It was a stunning achievement of ancient man. Ancient Ephesus was a cultural icon of its day, so much of what seemed to be the best of humanity was offered there, celebrated there, observed there in a myriad of ways. But it had a question that was unanswered still and a hole in its soul for the creator. St. Paul knew this when he visited. He actually ended up living there some three plus years working, building relationships, helping establish a healthy body of Christ followers. After he left, he wrote back to them somewhere around 60 AD. And it's to this letter or a piece of it that we give our attention today as we consider this. As we consider this, we. How to actually not just theoretically, 
live the life for which we have been created. Let's pray and attend to it. Father, I humbly pray that the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of each one of our hearts will be pleasing to you, King Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed about. Paul's pastoral, fatherly words are calling a people to actually come to know who they are in such a full and robust way that the mission for which they were created and called, for which they were created, to which they are called, would come about. He uses the first half of the letter, what we would refer to as chapters 1 through 3, to really hone in on the forgiveness, the grace, and the spiritual blessing of God that's been lavished upon all who follow Jesus. But he starts right out of the gate in the very beginning of the letter to say this has been done to bring about God's ultimate purpose in the world. This is the center of Paul's theology, I believe, what he believed. This is, the, this is the core. The uniting of all things in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. God has lavished this upon us to that union coming about. And then Paul begins to admonish them in the middle of the letter to walk in a manner worthy of this calling. And I often say this, and I'm going to say it again before I go further. Most, if not all of us, were trained from the time we were indoors like that to now to try to read this and apply it and obey it individualistically. I am here to say this again and again as long as I have breath. You individually can't do it. It's not because you personally are so bent and warped. It is because it is a call to the body of Christ. And we are so driven by individualism that we just try to make sure we're okay and get it done. And we end up living in this unending, seemingly, frustration and disappointment. And what happens? We begin to change what it says a little bit. We begin to give ourselves excuse to not be able to do it. You know why? Because we can't. Not individually. But if instead of tricking ourselves that way, we would read it as Paul gave it, we would understand, oh, 
We can't pull this off by ourselves. If I were to get Jesse to interpret the Greek pronouns through chapter four, you would see how many of them, when they say you, should be said y'all. They're plural. They just are. So we're trying to climb a mountain without a rope. Do, Do you hear that? I'm not just easing your conscience. Trust me, people who know me will testify that is not me. I'm trying to say there is a way to follow God, but it ain't by yourself. It's just not. So Paul begins to admonish them to walk worthy of this corporate calling to Christ. And he describes what worthy walking looks like. He says, with all humility and gentleness. In other words, that big thing I just said, don't beat yourself up about it. That's useless too. And please, for sure, don't look to someone else and shame them if you get it before they do. That is only God's grace if you got there. That we get it is the love of our Father helping us wake up to it. Be patient. Be humble. Be gentle. Bear with one another, he says, in love. Eager by doing that to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He tells us then, after admonishing this unity, this reality, he begins to say, now God's called you to this. He created you for this. This is God's purpose. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of this. This is what the worthy walking looks like. Now, let me give you some more good news. Not only has God called you to his purpose, but he's given you, and here it does become individual for a moment, gifts that you have. Now, they're not just enough This gift or set of gifts and this one and this one and this one by itself, not enough. He's given you these like different uh, instruments in an orchestra. And you do your part with the rest and something begins to happen. He's given us gifts. And then (laughs) he's given us people whose gifts are meant to be a gift to help us learn to play that instrument. People ordained, called, set apart, provoked if necessary to equip us to be able to use our talents, our skills, our resources to get over the things that get in the way of those He calls these people apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. And these men and women are to share in the work by equipping and helping us begin to build one another up. But we're not to be doing the lion's share of the work. And that is what I've been taught my whole life. Until I read the Bible. Yeah, the irony of that. I'm not enough. 
me and all of the priests and deacons and pastors at the Abbey are not enough to pull this off. Me and all the priests and pastors and deacons and cardinals and bishops and all the different hierarchy leadership, or if you go to the non-denom world, brother so-and-so, sister whatever, we're not enough. We're not. We are to equip the one people group in the entire world who will be enough to do God's work in the world until we all attain to the unity of the faith, not just this room, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Brothers and sisters, we've been sold a bill of goods. And I'm sorry. I'm a leader in the church. It is my responsibility to look at you and say, we've been taught this amiss. And you're hurt and frustrated because of it. No more. As God is my witness by the grace of the life he's given me, please, no more. It's the only way that we will no longer be like children tossed back and forth by ideas that are a distraction from our calling, that could be a strategic assault of the enemy on the calling of the church. This is how our good father looks out for us through one another. The results, us growing up in love to understanding the life of Jesus, then speaking that truth in love so that we all grow up in every way into becoming Jesus' Holy Spirit-filled body in the world. You were called to be that together. And if we do this as we each grow, and if it takes the rest of our lives, that's a life well-lived. If we each grow, we begin to build the body up. We ourselves begin to build one another up in love because we are living into that for which we were created. It's our destiny. It's our calling. It's our day-to-day and ultimate purpose. It is literally the whole ballgame. Christ, the second person of the Trinity, did not come down here to start the world's third largest super religion. He did not come down here just for the individual salvation of men and women so they could live however they wanted to and escape annihilation or hell or whatever comes next. I'm not saying the Bible doesn't say, I just say good, godly people see that differently. God came to put us right to be about his work in the world our job 
is to give our lives, live our lives to see it done. What's in your way? This is a little scary, but I think it'll make sense when I pull it together. If one of our little ones made it out that door right now, what would get in our way of anything to save them? Would anything get in your way? If someone came in one of these doors and tried to take one of them from us, what would get in our way to protect them? Here's the thing. You're God's children. We are his children. If we want safety and protection for our kids, how much more does a holy, good father whose very nature is love want that for us? So what's going to get in his way? Nothing. He gave his son to pull it off. gave his very son to see it accomplished so that his children the brothers and sisters of Jesus those of us who are the church can awaken from the distraction and become his identity understanding mission embracing death defying agents of reconciliation in his world folks who row instead of drifting don't row alone. This whole thing's in tandem. Whole big bunch of us. So what's in your way? Whatever it is, here's the good news. God is God. What's in your way is not. Did you hear that? If it's sin, that's Secretly working on it is not God. If it's being taught wrong, it is not God. If it's fear, fear is not God. God is God. And God's will is to equip and ignite and activate his church to be his redemptive people in his world, his identity, understanding, mission embracing, death-defying, equipped agents of reconciliation. We're the body of Jesus today. In the name of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Go home and remember. Read Ephesians again. See how Paul is telling us Live who you were created to be, not in theory. Theories are not saving anything. They're ideas to be explored, but the church is an entity. It's the body of Christ. It's God's purposeful working people in the world. And he's calling us to be who he's created us to be. Let's do that. You've been listening to the Mission Red Bank Podcast. 
Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to know more about Mission Red Bank or have questions about what you've heard today, you'll find us on Facebook. Grace and peace to you, and may God's blessings surround you.